welcome to this week's episode of So You Want to Get Sober. I'm your host, Mal, and I'm also an alcoholic, and I'm super excited for today's guest. She's one of my dearest friends, and she has an amazing story, incredibly captivating, and I hope that it sheds some more awareness on sobriety and recovery. She actually took me to my first AA meeting, which was very daunting, but she made it way less scary. I vividly remember going over to her house and, you know, sitting down, asking her some questions like, can I still smoke weed? Uh, And she was so sweet. She was like, oh, you know, we'll get to that when we get to that. Let's just get you to your first meeting. So she was super gentle with me. And now she's one of my best friends in the program. And it was really important to me to see someone uh, who was younger in the program because I was fearful that I just wasn't going to have any friends um, or that I would only be making connections with older women. And that's not the case. She really... She made sobriety really fun for me, so I'm super blessed to know her, super blessed to have her on this show, and yeah, take it away, lady. Thank you so much, Mel, for having me. I love you so much, and it's so funny. I I remember so vividly that day that you came over to my house, and I was it was just so nice to meet you, but oh my God, you're such a different person today than you were, and that was only less... That was like just under a year ago. It's wild. Wild. So much you've grown and I've grown and I just feel lucky to have you in my life. I love you, lady. Yeah. Well, um, I picked you to be on this podcast because you're just the epitome of hope. And I know that you have a lot to offer to people who are just kind of getting interested in sobriety and have questions, want to dip their toes in. So I'd love if you could kind of just tell us a little bit about your, your story about prior to getting sober, tell us about the shit show. I want to hear the shit show. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Okay. Well, I'll start just the way I do in meetings by saying, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an alcoholic. Um, so my sobriety date is June 23rd, 2019. Um, so I recently just celebrated a year of sobriety. So that was really exciting. Um, that was not my first sobriety date. So I started coming to the rooms of AA back in 2014. Actually my very first meeting ever. Um, my dad took me on sort of like, he took me out to dinner and we, he took me on his motorcycle and it was like a really fun night just with my dad and I, but he took me to a meeting, um, because my parents were worried about me. And it was a meditation meeting. So it was different than a lot of the meetings that I go to and nobody talked and it was just like meditation and silence the whole time. Um, And I just sat there and silently sobbed the entire meeting. And then we walked out and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I don't know what that was all about. It's been a long week. Um, So it's just so funny. That was was when I first started dipping my toes. So that was like six years ago. Um, And it took me six years of coming in and out and in and out, not quite getting it. But as I'll go into in my story, uh, I mean, I don't discount those years at all. They are the reason that I have a foundation in sobriety. They're the reason that I've learned so many, you know, tough lessons and have been able to now stay clean and sober for a year. Um, And the, the truth is like the long and short of it is for those six years, even though I was trying to get sober, I couldn't quite understand how to put together a happy, sober life. And so every time things got hard, I would just kind of say, fuck it. 
sorry, Mel, are we allowed to swear on this? <laughs> I would just say like, screw it. And I would drink again and then things would get harder again. And then I'd come back to the rooms and start again. Um, and now through some, you know, working a little bit harder and prioritizing my program and, um, I've been able to find a way for me personally to stay clean and sober. Um, and it's so much better. And I've gone through some really hard stuff this year. And it, I mean, drinking, it doesn't make anything better. So <laughs> I, it's been really nice to stay sober through the good and the bad of life um, and the ups and the downs. So anyways, I'll, I'll just do our normal format, sort of like what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, so what it was like, um, I mean, I grew up in a, in a wealthy area in a really affluent area. Um, and my mom was a single mom who had three jobs and, um, I was sort of a latchkey kid. I was always home with my sisters. I was the oldest, helped take care of them. Um, and there was a lot of dysfunction in my household. I mean, this is a family disease and all four of my grandparents have had alcoholism. and. Um, two of them died from alcohol-related diseases. So while my parents aren't alcoholics, um, we say in the program, this is a family disease. And my parents both grew up in extremely alcoholic households. So I mean, growing up with my mom, she wasn't an alcoholic, but there was a lot of anger and there were a lot of dishes smashed and there was a lot of screaming. And um, it was just a really emotionally volatile place to grow up. Um, and I just say that as a little bit of background into my story. I don't believe that that's the reason I'm an alcoholic. Uh, you know, in AA, we learn that alcoholism is a two-part disease. It's like an allergy in your body and it's an obsession in your mind. And I, I mean, I think through genetics and just a combination of nature and nurture, but really I think I was I was born an alcoholic and that's fine. And I accept that. Um, so anyways, it was a pretty volatile household, but luckily I poured myself into school and books and I was kind of a, I mean, I wasn't kind of a nerd. I was a super nerd, um, in middle school and high school. And that kept me safe for a long time because I wasn't invited to the parties, right? I wasn't drinking with my peers. Um, but that changed when I was about 15. The first time I ever drank, looking back, uh, it was very alcoholic. Like I was in a fight with my mom. I was 15 and I marched into the kitchen where I knew she kept her vodka in the freezer. And it had been in there for years because she wasn't an alcoholic. So she didn't need to chuggle of her vodka as we do when we're alcoholic. And I went into the kitchen, I grabbed her vodka and I chugged it in front of her. And I was like, look what you're making me do. This is your fault. I'm so mad at you. And I blacked out. So the first time I ever drank, I blacked out and I was angrily drinking at someone, um, which is just so funny to look back on like that. That was my gut instinct when I was a 15 year old child really. Um, and after that, I mean, like I said, in high school, I really, I didn't really get invited to parties <laughs> until I was maybe a senior in high school. So it was very low key, maybe a little bit of pot, a little bit of alcohol in high school. But I mean, it, my drinking really didn't take off until college. So when I went to college, um, I went to a party school 
And, uh, I mean, within the first few weeks of the dorms opening, I was just at every single party. Um, I went to school in Southern California. So I was down in Mexico, like every single weekend, um, drinking, partying. Uh, I mean, I was just, it was just insane from the get go. But when I was young and in college, it's like everyone else is doing it. Um, there weren't a lot of red flags because everyone was partying hard. Everyone was away from home for the first time. Um, and I thought that I was making like really true connections and making really good friends. And it's sad to look back on because I was really lost and I was just like drinking to try and feel close to people and try and make friends as quickly as I could. Cause I was in a new place. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, I'm not friends with a lot of those people anymore. And I also put myself into a lot of really unsafe situations, especially being a woman in sobriety. Um, I mean, it's just, it, as you can imagine, it just can get really unsafe really quickly. Um, so that's sort of how it was in college. I somehow, by the grace of God, graduated from college. I don't know how. My grades very swiftly went from like straight A's freshman year to like F's um, senior year. So I had to retake a few classes, but I made it through. Um, and then I actually won a sweepstakes to go to Australia. And I ended up living in Australia for like seven months. And it was funny because it looked so glamorous on the outside. Like I had won a sweepstakes. Um, I was, I was working at like a high fashion company in Sydney. Um, I just thought like, Oh, my life looks so glamorous on the outside. I just graduated college. I'm jet setting all over the world, but really it was like the lowest lows of my drinking. I was so depressed. I, didn't make any friends in Australia except for the people I partied with, which I weren't even really friends. Um, I was just so depressed. I hardly got out of bed on the weekends. I didn't go see any of the country I was in. Um, so it's really sad looking back. I was just, I was just such an alcoholic. Like I couldn't, I could not enjoy myself unless I was drinking. Um, and if I wasn't drinking, I was severely depressed. So it was just, it was just a really sad time. And then I moved home um, I got a job in San Francisco. Uh, I started working in like a really fast environment of uh, PR agencies. And I was just really miserable and I couldn't figure out why. I had no idea that it was alcoholism. Um, I thought, you know, if I get the right job, I'll be happy. If I get the right boyfriend, I'll be happy. Or if I could get married, then I'd really be happy. If I could have a baby, I'd be happy. Um, if I had better friends, I'd be happy. If I was skinnier, I'd be happy. If I had better clothes, I'd be happy. Uh, and I was, I was pretty miserable. I mean, I would be, I was working way too hard in a really fast paced, crazy work environment. Um, it was sort of like a women's version of Mad Men. Like it was just so much drugs and alcohol in that industry. I even had a boss one time, like pull me into a bathroom and ask if I wanted Coke. And of course I said, yes, because I was a druggy alcoholic <laughs> at the time. Um, but it was just wild. And I thought that everything was going to get figured out because it all looked okay on the outside. I had a fast paced job. Um, I was making rent every month. I was paying my bills on time. 
uh, everything on the outside looked okay, but on the inside, I was dying inside. Like I just was, couldn't figure out why I was so depressed. I couldn't figure out why I was anxious all the time. I honestly felt crazy a good amount of the time. Like I didn't know how I felt about anything because I would feel extremes like one way or the other um, within the span of a couple of days. And I just felt crazy and unhappy and depressed. And I would go to work in the morning and think like, oh, wouldn't it be such a nice break if a bus or a train hit me and I could just go to the hospital and like relax for a week? Um, and I just thought that's that must be how everyone feels and we're all just faking it till we make it. Like everyone must be as miserable as me. This must be normal. Um, yeah, I just had no idea it had to do with alcohol or drugs. So because I was so convinced that getting married would be the thing that made me happy. I was in my late twenties at the time and both of my younger sisters had already gotten married. Um, I started aggressively dating (laughs) online and of course being such an alcoholic, I attracted another alcoholic. And I remember on our first date, we each had like nine glasses of red wine. And I was like, Oh, this is love. Like this is, this is what I've been missing in my life. Um, And so I quickly moved in with this man uh, who I barely knew. And we continued to just party and drink and smoke and argue and fight. And it became very like emotionally abusive, both from him and me. It was super toxic. Um, And within a couple months of living with him, I called home, you know, crying like, poor me, I need help. I'm in this horrible situation, which of course my whole family was like, don't move in with this guy. You don't know him. Um, and so my dad and my stepmom were living in Palo Alto at the time. And they said, no problem. You can come move home with us, but only if you go to Kaiser CDRP, which is, um, Kaiser's chemical dependence recovery program. Um, and I thought they were insane. I was like, how dare you? You're so controlling. Like, this is the worst idea. I can't believe that you're, you're using that as leverage to get me to move home. But I had no other options. I had nowhere to live. I was so broke. I could not live with this guy anymore because we were probably going to murder each other. Um, I just had nowhere else to go. And even though I was so angry and depressed and just thought my parents were insane, um, because I thought, like I said, I thought I was keeping it all together on the surface. Clearly I was not. Um, I moved home and I I did what they said because that was the rule. And so, I mean, that was the only way they were going to let me live with them. And I had nowhere else to go. So I went to that outpatient program every day um, for a month or two. And in that program, it was required that we go to AA meetings. So that was sort of my introduction. That was back in 2014. Um, And at first, I really hated AA. I thought it was crazy. I was like, this is a cult. Um, First of all, I couldn't stand the word God. You know, like... I grew up agnostic and I grew up thinking anyone who believes in God is an idiot and just like too dumb to think for themselves. And, um, so my first thought with AA is, Oh, it's a cult. It's funny now looking back because now I do have a higher power of my own understanding. And like the reason I say of my own understanding is because it's like, as you know, Mel in AA, like you can choose 
anything you want to be God, as long as it's a force bigger than you, like you could pray to the universe, you could pray to the ocean, you can pray to it. Like, it does not matter as long as you don't think you're the end all and be all of the creator of the world. So yeah, so I really hated AA when I got, when I first started going to the rooms, I was just, I mean, I was an angry person. I was like miserable, but I really didn't want to go to AA. It hurt my pride. I always thought like, AA is for losers or like total degenerates. I didn't realize that alcoholism is just a disease that you can have like diabetes or, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I have this disease. I need help. But yeah, in the beginning, I, I just really didn't like going to AA. But what changed pretty quickly after giving it a chance for a couple weeks is I started to realize that like the people in the rooms weren't losers or degenerates. They're just people exactly like me who were miserable because they couldn't stop drinking. And then they found this program and they could stop drinking. So I started to become a little bit more open-minded. I was like, okay, I'm still not happy that I'm an alcoholic, but these people seem happy and I'm sick of being miserable. And so I stuck around and I started going to more meetings and I started going to women's meetings and I met my first sponsor. Um down in Palo Alto and I started working the steps. Um, and then I mean, and then I relapsed. (laughs) It's like, that's sort of the story for my first few years. I, I never got fully through the steps. Um, and usually what took me out was like dating or a guy because I just wasn't ready for that. People say, I mean, I don't need to get into all the like, you know, rules. I don't want to intimidate people. Like I have a husband now and I've relapsed and you can be in a relationship and come into AAA. But I just was, instead of addressing my issues of alcoholism and like actually doing the work of the steps, which spoiler alert, it's not that much work. Like it's not that hard. It is like, it's emotionally tough to dig deep and like look inside yourself. But as far as the actual work like it's not that much work yeah. um, all you really need to do to come into yeah. the program is have honesty open-mindedness and willingness and that's totally true you know like amazing yes and say that like you're gonna quit drinking for forever a it's just for today and you take the steps in order <laughs> you know yes. you don't just jump into step 11 on your first day so it's it's a work in progress um, and thank god thank god because i mean if it were all or nothing, I'd be so screwed. Like, thank God AA is so like, just stick around, just stay open-minded. Like, I love when people say we don't shoot our wounded. Like that's been so true for me. Every time I've gone out, people welcome me back with open arms. Like it's never a judgment thing. Um, You belong. Like if you can't stop drinking and you hate your life and you hate everyone, like great. So did all of us. Like, great to see you. That's the thing I think like I didn't get when I first got there. I was just so angry and I couldn't stand how happy everybody in the program was. Once I got a little bit more used to AA, it's just, it became something I actually looked forward to. Like I have found so many friends, including you, Mel, like so many of my dear, dear friends I found in the program because, you know, I'm, I'm a recovered alcoholic, but that includes, you know, days where I'm just so fucking irritable that I need to call one of my friends and be like, Hey, I need a drink. And please tell me why I shouldn't have one. Like we have so many tools available to us. The relationships are real too. I was thinking the other day about 
how I would always want to have these really deep conversations with people, but while I was drunk. Mm -hmm. I know I get to be able to call up someone. Maybe I've only met them five times at a meeting and I can have these deep conversations because it's real, you know, like it's authentic. You can be your authentic self with these people that you've met because they fucking understand. So Absolutely. I was the exact same way. I always thought I had such deep conversations and deep relationships when I was drinking. And I didn't. At the end of the day, I didn't have that many people I could call in a bad day. And it's like, last week you sent me fucking ice cream because I was having a hard time. And like, what a good friend, like moments like that make me realize how much I've changed and to allow good people into my life. And like, to be able to be vulnerable and honest with them to be like, Hey, I'm having a shit show of a week. Like just, I need to vent to you. And then you did such a nice gesture that like brightened my whole day. And it's like, that's how the program works, man. Like we're all there for each other on our hard days. And the beauty is we don't all have hard days on the same day. Thank God. Because when you're having a hard day, I guarantee you I'll be having a good one and I can be there for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So yeah, I mean, what it's like now is... It's wild how much my life has changed in the past six years. Like, as I mentioned, it hasn't been a straight shot. Like there's been... There have been slips. um, But so many good things have come of me, you know, even when I've slipped, I've never stepped away from the program. I've always stayed in the program and like continued to come back and try again and try again and try again. And that's the thing, like you don't have to be perfect. Just once I got a taste of AA and like how sane I can feel, I'm like, oh shit, like I can't leave that. Um, I mean, I just, the serenity that I have now, like I have bad days. I have anxiety. Sometimes I have depression. Sometimes I get angry when people are assholes when they're driving, like whatever I'm human, but I used to walk around like a constant ball of anxiety and unhappiness and just frankly, didn't want to be around anymore. Like I, I just wasn't happy at all in my life. And now it's like my baseline is I'm pretty happy and like, yeah, ups and downs and life is, can be hard and that's life. But now I can deal with it. Um, I got married in sobriety, which is fucking wild to be able to remember my wedding day. Um, so nuts. Like I never thought, I just always imagined I'd be drinking red wine, like all day and probably spill it on my wedding dress. Like I had already planned on that. Like, it'll be fine. I'll just carry a Tide to go pen. Like that's my plan. Wild. And like my family, I have such closer relationships with my family. Like my mom has also done a lot of her own work and that tumultuous household that I grew up in, we've all worked so hard to come really far as a family. And we don't argue like that anymore. We don't scream. We don't yell we're actually really close. We've come a long way. And a lot of that is my sobriety. Like my little sisters didn't want me around. They couldn't trust me. I showed up late to everything. I was selfish and self-centered and only talked about like my highs and my lows. And you know, when you're out drinking, there are a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows. And now I can actually be there for them and like give them advice. And I'm allowed to be around my nieces. Like what a beautiful concept I get to be in their lives. And um it's just insane how much better my life is today. Like I can actually get out of bed and live my day and not be wishing that I just wasn't here. You know, like it's just, it's wild to enjoy life when you disliked life for so long. There was like a decade that I just didn't want to be here and I was really miserable. And, um, 
I really didn't think it would ever get better. And I kind of just couldn't wait to like get old and die. And now I'm like, I, I actually enjoy life. It's a, it's a weird concept, but I do. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really grateful to AA. Dude, you're amazing. I'm blessed to know you. Um, I love you. I'm so glad we both decided to stay on this planet. You know, some people. I know. I know. It's a wild ride, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, on that note, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Mainly, you know, we talked a lot about you didn't really know what the hell was going on with you. Yeah. And when someone was like, go to outpatient, you were like, absolutely yeah. not. What the hell? But you had no other options. Yeah. And a lot of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is so that people who don't know what's going on with them might have a little inkling once they hear a certain tidbit in these shares. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when did you really grasp the idea that you might be an alcoholic or what kind of reeled you in and opened your eyes? Yeah. Recovery. I think like I have a lot of friends in the program who knew they were an alcoholic and they just like weren't done drinking yet. Like they knew they needed help but they didn't want to stop. I truly like had no idea I needed help. I think I was pretty delusional, right? Like I thought my life looked good on the outside. Apparently people around me, you know, I wasn't hiding it from anybody. If my family wanted to send me to an outpatient rehab, um, I feel like even though I was super in denial and just trying to like, live this double life almost of being miserable on the inside, but trying to present as like being really happy on the outside. If, if I look at my drinking, I was always blacking out. And I think the thing is I thought everyone was blacking out. Um, but that's just not the case. Like normal drinkers turns out don't black out. We have very much a binge culture in America. Right. And especially around college and, um, in our twenties, like it's just almost acceptable to binge drink. Um, so I just thought it was normal that people were blacking out. I thought I didn't realize I was in the minority there. Um, I think one of my dear friends in the program talks about one of the first things that she heard that stuck with her is um, somebody said, you know, normal people who don't have alcoholism think about alcohol about as much as they think about Brussels sprouts. And for her, like that's what shifted it. And that's really stuck with me because if I think about the way I used to think about alcohol, I, I thought about it day and night. Like I just couldn't wait to get to that next drink. And hearing that normal people think about alcohol about as much as they think about Brussels sprouts is such a funny concept because like, I can't even imagine living a life where you barely think about alcohol, but, um, I totally agree. The other, the other (laughs) day, my partner will had one beer and I was like, don't you want another? Yeah. Like, no, (laughs) I know my husband is a normie. (laughs) I know my husband's a normie too. And he's the same way he could take it or leave it. And I'm just like, but wait, you left a small sip of beer at the bottom of that cup. You need to drink it. He's like, calm down. No, I don't. Um, yeah, it's wild. Um, but no, that's great. Yeah. I, that definitely highlights. I mean, it's different for everyone too. Exactly. It's different for everyone. I think the thing that like we all feel though, is like, if you're miserable on the inside, clearly something is going on. Like, and you need to check it out with like a therapist or like your family or like a religious leader, whoever you're closest with, but you need to check it out. I think I was just so miserable. And I thought I was like, okay, I accept this. My life's going to be miserable. I might as well just drink until the bitter end. Like that's a really sad way of living. I think if you're not sure if you're an alcoholic, but you're like, have a tiny 
bit of curiosity, like why not talk to a friend who's in the program or why not just go to an AA meeting? I think AA can be really intimidating because we only see it in the movies um, until we get here. And it's actually like, I don't know. I, it's really fun. There are a lot of young people in AA now and like people are really kind and it's, it's really not as intimidating. Like if you actually go check out a meeting, it's not that intimidating. All right. A couple more things before I let you go. I, you know, relapse is a really big part of your story. And I feel like a lot of people get discouraged once they relapse. It's like, I just can't get it. There's something inherently wrong with me. I'll just kind of suck it up and be an alcoholic for the rest of my life. And that's not how it has to be. You are an example of that. You know, you've relapsed a couple, couple times and continuously come back into the rooms and look where you are now. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So I want to know what are your tips on a not relapsing and then Mm -hmm. do relapse? Like, how do you get back up on that horse? Yeah, I think as far as not relapsing, honestly, it's, for me, I've tried staying sober on my own and it just doesn't work. Like there's no harm in that. I mean, you, it takes what it takes. Like we say, it takes what it takes and you have to hit your own bottom. But when you're just sick of it and you're just sick and tired and you're done drinking and you know that you need help because we really, none of us can do it on our own. Um, I honestly think it just takes kind of giving up and being like, I can't do this anymore. Um, but as far as like actually staying sober, if it's something that you're ready for, um, sponsorship, like having a sponsor and actually working the steps, that's my number one tip. I mean, I've had a sponsor the whole time. Um, but I maybe was like half-assing the steps or had gotten through like half of them and then would be like, I don't feel good yet. Fuck it. I'm going to drink. I'll feel better. And the thing that I've learned with every relapse is it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. So like, if that's a lesson you need to learn the hard way, just like I did, fine. Like the, the one, the risk is like, if you go out, you might not get to come back. People die of this disease. People get behind the wheel of a car and kill themselves or kill another person, um, or overdose or, you know, sometimes we don't get to come back or sometimes we become homeless and it, we don't get to come back. I mean, there's so many consequences of this disease. Um, I feel really blessed and really lucky that I have gotten to come back as many times as I have. I really hope I never have to relapse again. And for me, it's very basic tools. It's like picking up the phone and calling three other alcoholics. Or if I'm not in the mood and I just can't bring myself to call three other alcoholics, call one. Or if I can't even do that, text one. It's like, do as much as you can, but take it seriously. Like Honestly, it can be life or death. And I think just having to prioritize my program and uh, learn the hard way a couple times it just felt worse and worse every time I relapsed. And honestly, it got to a point of just wanting to feel better. Yeah. And it yeah. makes me feel better. It's like medicine. <laughs> it does make us feel better. And I, I think we get so used to that instant gratification that drinking yeah. drugs gives us where it's like that immediate relief. And I can honestly say we, we have the nine step and the nine step promises, which kind of lays out exactly what you're going to get if you, it's not like tangible things with things inside you yes that you you get because of sobriety and it was not instant like I you got to deal with the pain and the feelings but it's so worth it because I don't fucking hate myself anymore yeah (laughs) my life is so better and like I, I you know I've mentioned before people used to say they were grateful alcoholics and I'm like 
shut up. What do you yeah, mean? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like I'm an alcoholic because I have all these tools and uh, the nine step promises have come true for me because yeah. I put that hard work and because I looked at my past and because I showed up with honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. And that's yeah. what matters. And like, if you, well, I remember Mel, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I remember like six months ago when you were like kind of unha- like uncomfortable in sobriety and you're like, okay, like does this get better? Cause it, it needs to, if I'm going to stick around to make it worth it. And I was like, it does. And I remember my sponsor said to you like, well, have you done your ninth step yet? And you were like, no, I haven't. She was like, well, they're called the ninth step promises for a reason. Like hold out hope. Once you get to that ninth step, things are going to get better. And like, you seriously powered through, you just kept holding on to your sobriety. You're like, okay, even if I'm not perfectly happy, this is a lot better than it used to be. And then you got your ninth step and it's been so beautiful and rewarding to get to watch you, who's now one of my dear friends, go through this process and just like become such a happier person. It's wild. And you saw me on day one too. Yeah, I saw you on day one. And like, I loved you from day one, but I love you even more now because you're like your true self. And that's what we get. It's like, we get to reconnect with like our badass, awesome selves that aren't doled down by alcohol. Completely. Yes. Agreed. And that leads me to my next question of when did things start getting and feeling better for you? Cause I specifically remember crying outside of the car. You and your spot were meeting. And I was like, I think I need to quit my job. And <laughs> I need a cat. I need a cat, a tattoo. No, that was when I was still drinking. Oh God. <laughs> well, I got a cat, but it was like a couple years into sobriety. And as far as getting a tattoo, a lot of people get a tattoo when they get sober, but Number one tip, do not get a tattoo of your sobriety date because if it changes, <laughs> you're going to be screwed. And I'm somebody... Keep you sober. <laughs> yeah. I'm somebody who got several really shitty, trashy tattoos when I was drinking. And so my sobriety gift to myself has been getting tattoo removal, which is so much more painful than the actual tattoos themselves. Oh my God. I asked you, I asked you how much it costs because I have a tattoo on my body. I literally do not know what it means. And then I had my friend translate it (laughs) and it directly translates just to brain. Oh, good. (laughs) Like so meaningful. (laughs) Oh my god, I love it so much. Um, well, no one else knows what it means, Mel. Um, okay, so as far as like when things start to feel better, I have a lot of experience with this because I've gotten sober like six times. Um, the very, very, very first time I ever got sober, things started to feel better. I mean, physically you start to feel better like in the first week or two. And that's kind of what keeps you going, right? Like you don't feel sick all the time. You're not hungover. Um, maybe if you've had to go through, um, what do they call it? You're detoxing. Yeah. If you're like detoxing, um, maybe you've had to go through that, but <laughs> like, hi, my brain doesn't work today. Um, <laughs> you start to feel better physically so much in the first few weeks, but then you're kind of emotionally fucked, honestly, for like a week or two, because you're so used to just checking out. And like the second you feel uncomfortable getting to drink or use a drug and just not have to feel that way. So yeah, for a couple of weeks, it really fucking blows. It does, but it's so worth it because you're not pouring poison into your body anymore. Um, 
So yeah, you start to feel good right away. But then when you really start to feel good is like going to meetings, making friends, realizing that like, you're not a worthless piece of shit. Um, and that people can actually like love you and are, there are so many other people like you. That was a big one for me. Like, Oh, I'm not the only person in the world who's done all this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I started actually feeling better, it's usually past like the 60 days mark, you start to feel like pretty good. And then I'd say like after six months is when you're like fucking on fire, like feeling really good. But I think after 60 days is usually when people start to feel kind of better, like a little bit more comfortable in their skin, maybe having like less bad days every week or like more moments of serenity. I don't know. What was it like for you, Mel? I I was, it took me a little bit longer, honestly, but yeah, me, I was able to rely on the, the women that I met in the program. And like, I was a fucking weirdo when I came in. I didn't know how to communicate with other people without like being intoxicated to some degree. So it was just, I mean, let's be honest, Mel, we're both still fucking weirdos, but at least we have each other. <laughs> Sometimes forget how to make basic human conversation. Like that honestly. So yeah. So um, anyways, I made these really great relationships with the women in the program. So when I was like, when does this get better? And I would have days where, you know, I specifically remember coming home, just like sobbing, being like, this isn't worth it. Like I have too many feelings. I still don't love myself. For me, loving myself was a really big thing. I think my Mm -hmm. biggest character defect is like, what can I do to get you to love me? So figuring out how to clear up all that achy feelings that I had from all the stuff that I had done just took a really long time. And, you know, I sent out a group text for my one year being like, thank you to all these women for holding my hand when I couldn't love myself. And that's really what kind of kept me through. A, they loved me even when I was a weirdo and like didn't know how to talk. B, they showed up when I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, Physically showed up, would call me, would text. Like they're real relationships that you make, which I just didn't think was possible for me. Um, Amen. (laughs) Yeah, I ruined a lot of relationships in my addiction. So um, yeah, I think that was really the road to... emotional recovery for me was having these real relationships that people love me no matter how I am. They take me exactly as I am. Um, and bit by bit, I started like dredging up all that icky stuff and being like, all right, Hey, shame, what's up? And then just <laughs> out the door. Um, but it no. took me a while. It wasn't overnight. You know, I hear a lot of people who are like in their first month and they're like, I feel great. I was like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what do we call that? The pink cloud, right? Yes. But- um, so I, have people, I have it now actually, but it takes what, I mean, it takes what it takes. Some people, if they don't have that pink cloud, when they come in, they're never going to stay sober. So like, maybe that's what they need. And some people are just miserable until they feel better. And I think like the yeah. main point is it takes us all. It's such like a unique journey. We all have each other, but it's still such an individual like journey into self. Um, but, and even though it takes different times for every, that sounded so cheesy. It's an individual journey into self. But anyways, um, AA is cheesy. It's fine. You know what? AA is cheesy and we can just like be cheesy and let our freak flags fly. Um, but I think the point is, even though it takes different amounts of time for everybody, the point is it gets better, right? Like it doesn't, it does matter when you're in it and you feel like shit, like you want to know what's the timeline. When am I going to feel better? But the point is it does feel better. And if you keep going to meetings and listening to other people's stories, they, they will tell you how miserable they used to be and how much better they feel now. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to make a podcast available to 
all the alcoholics addicts in the world is because like it's different for me it's different for you different for everybody because your addiction was different it's like it's individualistic it's different for everybody mm-hmm. so this way like we can sit down and talk about oh it took six months for me maybe it'll be this much for you and yeah. I recap six times and maybe people can relate to a specific story so that's my whole goal is I was confused about what alcoholism and addiction really looked like and uh got in the rooms and was like oh my god it's different for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what's cool about getting sober today, like not, I don't know, it, it might sound silly, but like getting sober today is kind of badass. Like it's kind of rock and roll. Like, yeah, it was such an intense, like druggy alcoholic that like, I couldn't even do it anymore. Like I'm so fucking badass that I had to get sober. Like that's how I look at it. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of an old millennial. So maybe that's just like how I look at it, but it's kind of, it's kind of badass. It's kind of like a secret society of like cool kids who are like sober now. Yeah. We all used to be fucking bad shit. Like I'm the girl who like ran on stage at a Maroon 5 concert to try and make out with Adam Levine. Like, that's insane. Can you elaborate on that? I feel like the world needs to hear the story. It's like a funny story, but it's actually a really sad story. Like, I was just shit-faced at a concert with my friends and bet them that I could get on stage with Adam Levine and... Thank God this was was before cell phones had can't, like video. Um, it was probably like 2007. Because um, I am a little bit... Even though you're like, yay, there are young people in AA. Like I am definitely older than you, Mel, by like... I don't even know. Not quite a decade. Just not a decade. I have a baby face. So like people don't know that we're not the same age. But anyway, so I was at this concert that my friends I could get on stage somehow ended up barefoot with a cigarette. Don't even know how that happened. I'm like sitting on the side of the stage and I like shimmied my way up onto the stage somehow. Don't know. I get like superhuman strength too when I'm drunk. I don't know. And waited until there was like a break in between songs and casually like walked on stage because I knew if I ran, that would be alarming. And so I like casually walked on stage, walked straight up to Adam Levine, wrapped my hand behind his neck and said, kiss me, Adam Levine. <laughs> and he, he proceeded to look at me with disgust while the security guards hauled me off stage. Like, that was a normal Saturday night for me. Like that's Everyone was cheering for oh, you. Oh yeah, everybody thought that I was like par- like a musical act. Once I walked on the stage, everyone started cheering because they thought I was like going to sing a song or something. And no, I'm just like a loser alcoholic who wanted to make out with Adam Levine. <laughs> oh my God. I know. It's so pathetic. I love it. I <laughs> love it. I told I told them that, that that story and they were like that's not true. I'm like no, I'm telling you. Like I I'm so glad there's not video of it, but I almost wish there were just so I could. Hey, maybe you would have come into the room sooner. <laughs> uh, you know what? Maybe I would have if I was like a meme, like an embarrassing oh, meme. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh well, I just absolutely love you and you. <laughs> made sobriety so much more fun. Yeah, it can be fun. It can be fun. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. So those are the only questions I have for you today. Thank Um, you so much for having me, Mel. I'm so excited for this podcast. Yeah. If there were podcasts like this when I was getting sober, it probably would have made things a lot easier. Yeah. I just want people to be curious. Like just listen and (laughs) fun on the other side. It's fun on the other side. 
Well, my dear, I will let you go. Thanks to everyone who is listening. We'll see you next week with a new speaker. Super exciting. They're all going to be good. Very excited for this. And I'm looking forward to it. 